And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Oh yes, it's midweek results like Norwich 7, S-E-V-E-N, Huddersfield 0, that make us glad we went twice weekly here on the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, it's me, Ali Maxwell, your host for today's show, alongside George Ellick as ever. Hello, George. How are you doing? Hello, Ali. Yeah, I'm very good. Excited to be with you today. Honestly, honestly, this season at times has been a grind and it's been easy to forget how lucky we are to cover these leagues. But I think Saturday evening, when Sheffield Wednesday stuck five past Cardiff on the telly and then Tuesday night with Norwich 7, Huddersfield 0, that's reminded us just how lucky we are. And that's good because we've got a show to produce, a show to make for you guys, and we've got a good one coming up today. George, what's next? Yeah, I'm not sure whether or not Cardiff uh, and Huddersfield fans would agree with that with that feeling after watching their team's performance. But you are right. And, you know, we looked at what, what was going on in midweek and we thought there's not going to be much to talk about. So we've organised two interviews, but how wrong we were. So we're going to go back through the midweek action, talk about that Norwich result and whatever else went on in the Championship and League Two. Then we've got Wickham goalkeeper David Stockdale talking to us about Wickham's six cup finals till the end of the season. And then Dr. Tom Markham, who has been appointed non-executive director at Wigan under their, their new owners. He's a football finance expert. And I'll be giving him a bit of a grilling about the intentions there. And then, of course, we'll be looking ahead at the weekend action uh, and picking out one game from the Championship, League One and League Two, and previewing those for you in association with Paddy Power. It's been an absolute hailstorm of takeovers uh, this week in the EFL. Wigan, just one of three that we think uh, are either in the process of or having been taken over. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what Dr. Tom Markham has to say about the intentions of him uh, and his colleagues in at Wigan. But let's get straight to the on-pitch stuff because, as we said at the top, we're so glad to be able to speak about Norwich's phenomenal result as a starter for the podcast. Just saying that Norwich scored seven doesn't give nearly enough enough context into the beauty of these seven goals. It was Norwich distilled into one performance, wasn't it? And poor Huddersfield genuinely could not get near them. I mean, who to start with? Pookie with a hat-trick and an assist. Buendia with a goal and a hat-trick of assists. Cantwell with one goal and one assist. They were absolutely purring, George. A, a joy to watch. And then I guess tinged with a bit of sadness as well because we won't be seeing this much longer in the Skybet Championship. Probably not next season, no, but who knows what happens after that. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, we talk about teams being rampant. We talk about teams running riot. The, the difference with this is I kind of felt like all 11 players were rampant. All 11 players for Norwich were running riot. You know, you look at the 
the one goal that wasn't as aesthetically pleasing as the other, which was the Pookie penalty. But that came from Oliver Skip, of all people, getting the ball and just running 60 yards up the pitch before being chipped in the box. I mean, when a player whose whose job is very much to be the crab of the team starts doing that, you know that the confidence is coursing through their veins. And, you know, Timo what, Pookie... What, what would you, how would you sum up the role of crab in a football team out of interest? It's something I do quite well in five aside, to be honest. Just get the ball, give it. Get the ball, give it. Don't try and uh, don't try and uh, break lines uh, with vertical runs. Just look to shift it from side to side and, and keep it keep it pretty simple. No one cares about what I think about that, Ali. So let's talk about Norwich. No, no one wants my tactical acumen. Yeah, I mean Pookie gets the headlines. He gets the match ball, and there were good performances elsewhere. Aaron's was very good. Dow was good, but. Emi Buendia. I mean, we talk about him so much, but I, I feel like this is one of those displays that will that is suited to one of the best players we've ever seen at this level. You know, he goes into that conversation around the best players to ever play at this level. You know, Ruben Neves, Adel Tarabt, he is right up there. And I think this is the performance that when we look back, you know, when he's playing for Atletico Madrid in the Champions League in 18 months, this is the performance where we'll look back and just think, how was a player of his quality playing at this level? Because he, it showed his range of skills so well. Not only the incredible clipped ball, you know, the, that's what Norwich do so well. So, despite playing great football, so many of their goals and so many of their attacks do start from not lumps forward, but beautiful, beautifully weighted balls over the top. And Brendiers for Puki second was one of those where he's curled it around the defender over his, over his shoulder. Puki's latched onto it and, and hit a lovely finish in, inside the near post. Lovely slick stuff again from Norwich. The ball over the top for Puki. Can he get another one here? Is there ever any doubt? Talk to me about this pass. It is outstanding. The movement from Puki getting in behind Keo and what? The finish, well. Then you've got his goal, which was the third goal. Oh, it's another one. What a start this is. And the man who provided the second goal has scored the third himself. And like Pookie's just kissing off the inside of the post, but such a good finish. I mean, how they stood off him like that, I'll never know. He is an absolute joy to watch. And and you talk about, you know, it's a tinge of sadness that um, that we won't be seeing Norwich again at this level. It's with absolute pride that we're going to be saying goodbye to Emi Buendia um, and just uh, a lot of joy on, on our part, I think, that we were blessed to have a guy um, come and play at this level again because he, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be here. <clears throat> and it was a, a performance for the ages from him. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Don't Not cry quite. for Argentina. <laughs> No, I wish I'd gone with that. Uh, Nor- <laughs> Norwich, not quite done, is it? They need either two more wins or a win this weekend with Swansea and Brentford both dropping points would see Norwich's promotion confirmed so they can get the bus booked, albeit that's probably a bit of a waste of time in in, uh, in these COVID times. But Brentford nil, Birmingham nil. Brentford did drop points in midweek. It's four draws in a row for them. It wasn't a classic, but if you think that the, that the story of this game was probably Brentford hammering Birmingham and, and Birmingham sort of clinging on to a point. It's not really how it went. Birmingham were impressive and it's been a great start for, for Lee Bowyer at Blue. Seven points in four games has, has made their outlook and their chances of survival a lot 
sunnier, a lot rosier. So Birmingham, certainly a team to watch heading into this weekend. Down in League Two, George, Morecambe won, Southend won. Morecambe missing the chance to move into the top three here. You know, a home game against a team in the relegation zone. These are the sorts of games, though, that, you know, at the start of the season or midway through the season, they look like home bankers, don't they? But actually, towards the end of the season, some often those teams in the relegation zone, much harder to play against than maybe a side in, in mid-table. That was very much the case for, for Morecambe in midweek. The, the big picture being, they miss out on moving into the top three. They're now part of a chunk of teams between third and seventh who are really scrapping it out for the last automatic promotion spot. You have to say it was a great result for Cambridge and for Cheltenham, who now have a decent gap between themselves and third and fourth place. Uh, and those teams kind of struggling for form as well, scrapping for that spot. Uh, and then Carlisle, George... Back to the beach. Three 2-0 wins in a row. They beat Scunny 2-0. And Chris Beach is loving this, isn't he? Because he he's one of those managers. There's two types of managers. One of them who says, I never read any media, any press about our team. I don't care about any of it. And the others who read every single word written about their team and keep the receipts as well. Because there are some people having to swallow some words after this run. Yeah, there are, but it but it's, it just shows how cyclical, cyclical football is because there were those of us who said they were the best team in League Two who had egg on their face pretty shortly after and there were those who'd written them off who are now looking equally foolish. Uh, Carlisle's season has been derailed uh, by COVID early, early on in the campaign. It's hard to imagine that they would be outside the playoff places if that hadn't happened, but they're now putting together the run of form that... You know, that, that was the reason why they were top of the league at the beginning of the season. And Chris Beach came in for some pretty um, undue criticism, I would say, very much a victim of his own success and his own shrewd recruitment in the summer. And he is showing those people that they were pretty premature in writing them off. So yeah, take me to the beach. Uh, I'm happy to see that he is, uh, that him and his side are back with a, with a massive chance of getting into the playoffs. Yeah, we're rubbing our hands with anticipation for the weekend, not because we're taking a trip to the beach, but because every fixture matters. It's crunch time in the EFL. We'll have our weekend previews up shortly, but next is the great Wickham escape on, maybe. Well, there's a lot of teams on a par for the Champions League places just now and every Spurs player will be doing everything he can tonight to drive the club forwards and put the team first, particularly Gareth Bale, who'll be back at Madrid doing what he does best. Hmm. And while nothing's guaranteed for Spurs, you can at least be guaranteed your money back with a risk-free £5 bet builder on Spurs v Man United this Sunday. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet builder bets only minimum two legs plus max refund five pounds if it loses T's and C's apply 18 plus be gambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. For the first time since 1992, Wicker Wanderers have done the Easter double and as a result have given themselves a glimmer of hope of survival. Joining Ali to discuss those wins and what the future could hold, it's Wicker Wanderers keeper. David Stockdale. So I think it's fair to say it, it was Wickham Wanderers weekend in the championship over Easter weekend. A 1-0 win against Blackburn and then a 3-0 win against Rotherham. Uh, David, you were in goal for both games and your performances saw you named in the EFL's team of the week. That sounds like a pretty good weekend to me. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good Friday and a, a good bank holiday. Most people would want to be in the pubs. And I was wanting to be at Rome, so it's a bit of a change, but 
what a great weekend to have. Uh, it looked like you were loving it in Rotherham, to be fair, because you made, I think, seven saves. There was a great... Have you seen the shot of yourself basically grinning uh, after seeing the shot go wide? Everyone was enjoying that bit of uh, just just loving life up there. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. For me now, with what I've gone through for the last couple of years at various places, I've just... Um, I came back and I always played with a smile on my face ever since signing back at Wickham. Enjoy every moment and uh, it, it kind of humbles you. So play with a smile and it, it seems to be bringing the best out. And um, long may it continue and I'll always play. I'll always have a smile on my face around here. Well, yeah, you said uh, just before we started the call, I said must be a good atmosphere around the place this week. And you corrected me and said, no, no, always a good atmosphere around the place. Where does that come from? How does that, how is that such an inherent part of, of Wickham's atmosphere? Well, when you've got a rock star manager, um, it kind of just leads on to it. We might as well have a tour bus in the car park. <laughs> um, but no, it's um, it's the the characters we have in the changing room. Um, obviously, I'm I'm one of them that always comes in, smile on my face, no matter what's happened. We we are lucky to be doing what we're doing, especially in these times. So we make the most of it, and we're allowed out. So there's other people that um, are stuck in the house and. And, and can't do much so we're very lucky so we, we have to take stock as such and, and and appreciate what we've got and um smile just for the benefit of, of the listeners you mentioned what you've been through over the last few years in footballing terms when you were when you were picked for the EFL's team of the week you tweeted saying never give up thanks to all the boys in front of me the lads are the best bunch brought my love back for this game been a long time since I had one of these back in the championship it's been a tough route back just talk us through your journey over the last few years let us appreciate um well where you've got to up to this point yeah so I, I signed at Birmingham the, the first year didn't go to plan for for, for the whole club um there was a few things behind the scenes that were going on um, and basically I was with the under 18s from the first season I was there to to leave it um, so when I signed for Wickham I signed a emergency loan for Wickham South End Coventry and those years I managed to get a couple of games each one just to keep going then I signed again the year after obviously promotion year and I think it was a year since I'd played that I managed to play for Wickham for two games. Then then COVID hit. And then uh, this season I signed for Stevenage and it was a year exactly to the day that I'd played. And when I when I came back and unfortunately Ryan got injured, we um we worked it out. I think it was was it about two and a half years since I'd played in the championship. Um so that was just a great feeling to do that and, and to carry on the form that Ryan's started is um is what I'm here for. You know, that's why you have multiple goalkeepers and, and at this level. I think you've kept six clean sheets in, in 11 appearances for Wickham since you've, well, since you initially filled in for Ryan. Of course, he's now back from injury, but you've um, kept the gloves, so to speak. Of course, a lot of championship fans will remember you being Brighton's number one uh, in such a, a positive period for that club at this level. What What is that interim period like when you've had such a good uh, portion of your career with Brighton and then things just don't go as well at a new club what's it like not really just in footballing terms but just for you as a bloke to to go through that yeah it's very tough because 
um, a massive club like Birmingham as well. There's fans that are um, working class. They want you to put everything in for the shirt. So you, you do get a bit of stick and they're all entitled to their opinion. And, and they were probably right that first year. We didn't live up to, to our standards as a team. Um, but the thing that got me was I never had a chance to put it right. Mm. Um, so for me, it's never, I'll never say, I told you so or anything like that. I'll just let my football do the talking. And and to be fair, once once the fans knew that there was something more than just me not being a very good goalkeeper, um, I kind of got left alone. And, and hopefully I'll never try and prove anybody wrong. I'll just do it and, and people make their own decisions and opinions. So um, we've had it all the way through the career. Every footballer has it. What you have to do is is prove yourself right, um, and and that was part of the tweet that I put out that mm. you never give up. You always have that self belief, and and it's not just you; it's the people who make sacrifices, your family, my wife, my kids, and um, like I said, the Wickham that that brought my love back for the game, and it was literally, and it wasn't an overnight thing. It was very much like you have to build yourself up, and it's a humbling experience, which is is brilliant. Um, in in a funny sort of way that the world comes back around again and people can use that not just in in football. Of course, before you made your way into the Wickham side, you were, as you mentioned, on an emergency loan at Stevenage. You played five games there. Unsurprisingly for someone who's won promotion from the Championship only a few seasons ago, um, you looked like you were thriving uh, in the fourth tier. You signed off by saving a penalty in injury time to win a game. I think you were our player of the midweek on this very show that week as well. Um, Just talk us through Stevenage itself. I think they're a really interesting side for the listeners to hear about because many people will assume that they're still down the bottom of League Two because that's where they were all of last season and the first half of this campaign. But actually, if you look at the form table over the last few months in League Two, they've been one of the better sides, which I guess bodes well for next season. What did you find when you went into Stevenage and what's that young manager Alex Ravel like? Because, yeah, as I say, maybe slightly going under the radar. Yeah, to be fair, I've got I've got to say a big thank you to him. Uh, he took a not a huge risk, but he took a risk on taking me that I'd not played in so long. So it was it was kudos to him. I went in and I actually the the training ground's lovely. I just, um a little bit yeah. smaller than a few places, but they've got it well set up. Obviously, in the restrictions, that they've got it all well drilled, and um, I was surprised. And that's not in a negative way I was just surprised that where they are in the league didn't reflect the the, the way they was training mm. and then once I got playing and and understood how they played we we were so unlucky on some of the games that we lost because we had to come back and you could see that Alex and, and Dino and Mark are building something there and I think if you look back in one of my interviews I said I'm surprised that they are where they are in the league. And then speaking to people, it was a common occurrence that they was dominating a lot of the games, but just not not getting the points. And uh, since I left, I think they've gone on an amazing run. So um, I've left them with a little bit of luck. Um, and they deserve everything because they're, they're, they're a great bunch as well. They welcome me in. And Alex Ravel, it's great to see. He, he reminded me, I think he scored past me once. Um, <laughs> and he kept reminding me. So um, I wish him all the best because he, he was brilliant. 
Um, and he's got some great staff with him. And uh, I think things are going to really look up. And fingers crossed, they're quite near the, the playoffs this season. So you never know. As for your current manager, the rock star, uh, as you called him at, at the top of the interview, Gareth Ainsworth, I mean, he, he couldn't have been happier and more proud in his post-match interview after that Rotherham win, because, of course, it gives you guys a, a fighting chance, something to aim for in the last month or so of the season. I mean, he, his his whole thing about how lucky we are and how many teams would want to be in our position and how incredible this Wickham in the Championship story is, I must admit, it made me wonder, in the dressing room, in his pre-match team talks, post-match debriefs, is he that happy and that positive all the time or can he be a little bit more demanding behind the scenes? He's always like that. <laughs> not going to lie. Um, it, it doesn't matter. There's always a whoop or a come on or something wherever we are. Um, it, it, you could be uh, going to the toilet and he just throw out a whoop or come on. And it, it it's hilarious but that's the way he is. He, he's got a little bit of a cliche at this club where he says, uh, never get too down, never get too up. I think he, he reverts back to the, I think I might be right, talky game mm-hmm. where they nearly went out of the football league not so long ago. And you think what he's done at this club and and, and what, what people he's brought through, what low knees he's had, what, what, what limited budget, let's say, compared to other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. And look, Whatever happens this year, I think we can take massive learning and and credit and a lot of pats on the back for for going through a se- a tough season on and off the pitch and move it into whatever we do and hopefully this just strengthens this club and it's no longer a underdog club. It's a it's a well established, well run football club. Still a few games to go. Uh, has there been the Great Escape theme tune being hummed or sung in the dressing room this week? No, but we've dug a few tunnels under the training ground to get to the <laughs> ground if we need to, you know. <laughs> so we've got a few uh, few people. Uh, we've got the RAF flying in with a few uh, life packs and that. So just in case, we'll, we'll, we'll put our uh, life vests on and, and stay afloat as long as we can. But no, it is down to us at the end of the day that we are in this position. That might sound negative to some, but the fact that we we can be proud of what we've accomplished, as as the, like I say, some people were saying, well, we won't get many points, we'll have the lowest number of points, but to keep it alive, and I'm not sure many people would have said we would have still been alive and still in with a chance at, at this point in the season. So that's that's kudos to everyone in the football club, but. It, it is football at the end of the day. There's relegation, there's promotion. Everyone's aware. And if you don't, don't do it over a course of a full season, then the inevitable happens. Well, as well as seven saves against Rotherham, uh, you are being given the credit for three pre-assists in that game as well. This is not everyone's into these uh, these modern stats and metrics, but I think that one reflects pretty well. Three good balls downfield flicked on by Uche or by Bayo, uh, ended up in the back of the net. So good luck to Luton this weekend, having to defend David Stockdale's catapult downfield and some of those targets at the top of the pitch. Thank you so much for for chatting to us this morning, David. It's been brilliant to hear about your journey and the, the good vibes around the place at Wickham. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Ali.
Thanks for having me. David Stockdale, Wickham keeper, EFL team of the week keeper there. George, quick one. Can they do it? Yes, they can definitely, definitely do it. I'm not saying they definitely will be able to do it, but anybody who is writing them off is a fool because they've won their last two games, not against um, you know the, the poorest opposition in Blackburn and, and Rotherham. Um, that R- Rotherham win especially crucial because it brings them closer to the sides above them. They're playing teams up next who are in like unbelievably bad form. You've got Luton, Swansea, Bristol City and Cardiff, four teams who over Easter weekend, it couldn't really have gone worse for them. They can absolutely do it. Will they do it? It's still more likely than not that they'll get relegated, of course. But yeah, don't write them off. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Now this week we've seen Ipswich and Derby make some serious ground on their respective takeovers. Marcus Evans has sold the Tractor Boys to an American investment fund called ORG and Eric Alonso looks likely to take Mel Morris's seat as chairman of Derby County. But one team that has been in desperate need of a revival and a bit of TLC is Wigan Athletic. And we are delighted to say that joining us now to discuss that very takeover is one of the new directors at the Latics, Dr. Tom Markham. Tom, thanks very much for joining us on the pod today. No problem. So let's talk about the takeover itself, which went through last month. Uh, Wigan taken over by UK-based Bahraini Group Phoenix 2021, led by Mr. Talal Al-Hamad. Can you give us a little bit of the backstory, both about where Mr. Al-Hamad's interest came from, where your involvement came in as well, and how the difficulty, I guess, of, of getting the deal over the line. Sure, yeah. Well, Talal is taking over as chairman, but uh, the, the financial backer is actually Mr. Al Jasmi, who's his father-in-law. But Talal is, is uh, he's a big football fan. Uh, he's actually very close to the Agnelli family. And um, in terms of where this came from, that they were interested in Wigan uh, around the time that the club went into administration. And very quickly, the Spanish group obviously got exclusivity, so they stepped away. And as soon as that 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 uh, didn't go through, they, they came back to the fore and were keen to have those conversations. And, and that's where I got involved. And I think the, the main interest in, in Wigan is um, I can remember being in the Middle East when they were successful in around the time when they when they won the World, or the World Cup, the, the FA Cup even, <laughs> um, getting carried away here. Um, that's the, the, is that the, the, the hopes now for this new Wigan group, Wigan winning the World Cup in the future? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the way FIFA are developing the game, anything could happen, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, no, on, on a serious note, um, I can remember being in a ho- hotel room in, in the Middle East and Wigan were getting so much coverage at the time because they had Arabic-speaking players. So obviously they had um, Al-Habzi, um, you, you had Zaki, you had Mido at, at one stage. 
and they were getting a lot of coverage over there. So I think there's there's a soft spot in in the Arab world for Wigan on that basis, and that that's part of the reason that uh, that Talal and Mr Al Jazmi were drawn to this opportunity. You're a, a football finance expert yourself, and you know you don't need me telling you that often football fans, both football fans of clubs and football fans, just kind of following the game approach new owners with little connection to the club they're buying with an element of, of distrust. And it won't only be Wigan fans, especially given what Wigan have gone through over the last 12 months, who will be you know, looking at this deal and wondering, you know, just, just a little bit concerned, I guess, about the intentions. You mentioned there that, that, that uh, Talal is a, is a football fan. I mean, what can you do to anyone listening to persuade them that this is um, going to be a successful and an exciting time for Wigan Athletic? Uh, well, t- to be honest, I, I wouldn't have got involved. And during the whole process, uh, m- my initial role was to facilitate and to ensure that the deal got over the line. And the more that I saw with regards to the club and their and their strategic planning, uh, they're, they're in for the long haul. Their intentions are really, really good. They want to re- They feel that the club, although it's it's obviously gone through a lot of change and a lot of players that have been developed have have gone and and probably you know that's the administrator's job and and ultimately they need to pay the bills but a lot of people might argue that they went for a little bit under what they were worth but but they were the market conditions unfortunately but i think it's a really really good blank canvas um the the intentions are are excellent from bahrain the EFL uh, owners and directors test has got a lot more stringent um, and they've had to provide assurances for all of the money that's required and more to to, to obviously develop the club. So, yeah, I, I, I think that, that the club is going to be in a really, really good place. You mentioned the owners test there and, and I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on it because you know, the EFL are, are often blamed by fans of clubs when things don't go too well and certainly that was the case with Wigan. That kind of good and fit, fit and proper test comes under a lot of scrutiny. You will know it better than anybody else. Do you feel like the EFL now are implementing a, a set of requirements that fulfil the needs of these clubs? Yeah, I think traditionally it, it was it was quite you know a lot was made of the test in the in the media, whereas you know someone would have to have either criminal a criminal record or have been struck off as a director not really to make it. So that the the tests weren't necessarily um, as stringent. Whereas now I think you know they do go to town on this. They have private investigators. They look into all of the sources of funds and. And ultimately, what type of individual is is becoming a member? Because, you know, for the Premier League or the EFL, that you're only as strong uh, as as your weakest member. And I think the EFL has learned that the hard way and is determined that that does not happen again. And, and your role at Wigan um, going forward now, you know, you mentioned you're involved in, in the the purchase itself. What's going to be your your day to day at the club? Well. I've been appointed as a non-exec director, so I, I won't be there on a, on a daily basis, but I will be involved uh, with Mal Brannigan, the, the new chief exec, who was appointed uh, on the basis of he has experience at, at every level. He has experience on the finance side of things. He's got experience on the commercial side of things. He's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and, and get involved, which is what's needed from the start. 
But ultimately what's going on there is ensuring that Liam Richardson has everything that he needs to give the club the best chance of, of staying in the division. But back to your original question, I'm going to be involved more on the strategic side, you know, looking at longer term um, development of the club. Uh, I have a, quite a, a big network within the game. We've already been contacted by numerous clubs about potential partnerships and and working together, whether that's on, on say, loan players or, you know, um, Obviously, the academy plays a massive part for Wigan. It's it's always been successful. It's a traditional, very good academy. And that's something that we want to build on as well. So there's lots to do. There's lots of focus. Um, but, you know, th- what happens on the pitch for the, for the remainder of the season is the most important thing. Mm. Well, I was going to say that with with Wigan currently in twenty third position, and you know, making we, we we're full of praise on this podcast for the job that Liam Richardson's doing in such difficult circumstances to try and keep Wigan in League One for next season. Just one point off off safety as it currently stands. How important is it to the new owners to retain that League One status for next season, or is there a longer term vision where you know you can you can understand if it doesn't quite happen this time around? I think. Um... We'll do everything within our power to keep the club in the division. So, so that that's very important. Um, the 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 owners, Talal in particular, was was very keen to get the deal done as quickly as possible, so we'd have as much control. And it, we probably would have liked to have got it done a little bit quicker than it actually happened. But it's definitely a long term project, and you know nothing is a given in football. So contingency planning is is, is in place, but we're going to do everything that we can to keep the club in League One. Plenty of other takeovers, as I mentioned, have kind of either gone through or are going through for clubs of, of similar sizes and at a similar level to Wigan. You've got the Kirill Louis-Dreyfus' takeover at Sunderland that went through a couple of months ago, Thomas Sangard at Charlton, the new investment at Ipswich Town as well, suggesting that League One, if all these clubs are going to be there next season, especially with the salary cap being scrapped, as it stands at the moment, there could be some serious investment into the playing side of things at this level uh, in 21-22. Can you lift the lid a bit on on that kind of side of things? Could you see Wigan being one of the heavy spenders in League 1 and League 2 next season? I don't necessarily see heavy spending. I think it's strategic spending that that will work properly in the, in the medium to long term is the objective here. Um, the the family are well resourced, as I mentioned, but I don't think they're going to get involved in in, in silly spending. Um, obviously, a lot of football clubs have been affected by the pandemic, and EFL clubs more so than any, with with the media uh, broadcasting revenue uh, or lack thereof that they focus on on obviously gate receipts. So, I I. I I hear what you're saying in terms of some wealthy individuals coming in, but I think a lot of clubs are really going to struggle. And uh, on that basis, you know, there will be competitive balance. There will be clubs spending quite a lot of money, but there will be bargains out there for for other clubs. So I, I think it's going to be it's going to be very very, very interesting division, and and I, I hope that Wigan Athletic is in it next year. Mm. Uh, Liam Richardson, we mentioned, who has had two caretaker spells in charge of Wigan. It seems strange to say that, given he's been in charge for most of the season, because uh, of course uh, John Sheridan came in and out pretty quickly earlier on in the campaign. Uh, could, can you mention anything about his long-term um, future at the club, or have there have been conversations with him about his future for next season? 
I know Mal has sat down with Liam uh, extensively and, and, and spoken about his vision, but I, I think just from, from, a, from a club perspective that we're really focused on, on the remainder of this season and, and just doing everything that we can to, to keep the club in the division. And I think that's where the focus ha, has been. But uh, I, I actually was at the, the Gillingham game recently and I was very impressed with Liam and, and how he communicated with the players and they played very well. And this is the thing that the, the, the games that, that I have seen, that, that they have been playing some really good football and they've been unlucky in, in terms of how everything happens. And that's football at the end of the day, but it's so tight at the bottom of that that uh, that table that you know a couple of results uh, and and you could be, you know, well outside the the, the relegation zone. So so yeah, we've been impressed with with Liam and uh, and conversations with Mal are ongoing. You mentioned that this is a long term project and that you're going to be mainly involved on the strategic sides. For any Wigan fans listening, have you guys set a target, a longer term target, where you want the club to be in five years, 10 years? It's difficult to set a target just because of the circumstances now. But I, I think the idea, you know, we see Wigan as a championship, if not higher, uh, club. So I think that that's probably the the medium target, but we're not going to cap that. Obviously, we'd love to return the club back to to where it was in the Dave Whelan era, but um, that will depend a lot on what happens at the end of this season and 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 beyond. Now, Tom, you're the envy of many football fans, certainly myself, because not only are you non-exec director at a at an EFL club, but you also work. A football manager and you're also the producer of a football film Kaiser the greatest footballer never to play football for those who don't know much about the story just uh, give us a little bit of a snapshot without revealing too much sure yeah it's uh, it's available on Amazon Prime Video and uh, it's, it's a bonkers story actually that uh, a very good friend of mine found and and we we found out it was true at the World Cup in Brazil, um, and effectively the uh, the background is it's it's a con man who manages to have a twenty six year professional career in football, <laughs> so that that's in at the top teams in Brazil, in in Argentina, in Mexico, in France, and uh, the guy was terrible. He he could he couldn't <laughs> play, so so in some ways. He, for me, he's actually the greatest con man of all time because you're talking about the golden era of domestic football in Brazil, 70s, 80s, with some of the best players in the world. And to you know anyone, you look at something like Catch Me If You Can, anyone can mm. fake a few checks or put on a pilot's outfit, but not many people can be you know putting on their boots to go out and play with Zico or Bobeto or or any of these mythical figures from that era. But the funny thing is, all of these people became his really good friends and feature in in the documentary. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's probably one that your listeners might like. Amazing. The original Ali Dyer. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tom, for joining us on the podcast today. Best of luck with the film. I can't wait to watch it. And also good luck both in the short term and in the long term. It sounds like a great project at Wigan. Thank you. Dr. Tom Markham there of Wigan Athletic and Football Manager and now Kaiser Film fame as well. Do check it out. But as for us, there's a full slate of fixtures to look ahead to now.
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Time then for our weekend previews in association with Paddy Power. And without much further ado, let's get straight into them. And we're going to the championship where... AFC Bournemouth play against Coventry, one team hoping to get promotion to the Premier League, one team hoping just to stay in the championship. So one of those big games where you know they might not be playing there might not be teams taking trying to take points off each other, but equally important for both Ali. And you're going to talk us through Jonathan Woodgate's resurgent cherries. Dorset. Dorset. That's where we're going, because that's where Jonathan <laughs> Woodgate is. And his team are doing well, you know. I think there were so many eyebrows raised when Woodgate... It was just such a weird scenario, wasn't it? Jonathan Woodgate was brought in, I'm led to believe, by Jason Tyndall. And one day after, he'd got the train down, he'd, he'd had his tracksuit, you know, emblazoned with his initials and he was going to be a first-team coach and try and help Jason Tyndall out of uh, what was a tough spot and some poor form. A day later, Jason Tyndall gets sacked... Jonathan Woodgate's asked to be caretaker manager. And for a week or so, all these reports in the press, Bournemouth are looking to hire Thierry Henry, many other big names mooted. In the end, go on, Jonathan, you can take us up. And you know what? He's making a pretty decent fist of it. And many people might have written him off because the first job he ever had last season with Middlesbrough didn't go particularly well. But you can be made a fool out of if you make sweeping judgments about young managers because his Bournemouth side looking really good at the moment, George. They're one point behind Reading with a game in hand. So they're looming ominously in Reading's rearview mirror and they've won three games in a row. And I guess the big question, you have to check yourself, not get carried away when you see a team's won three games in a row. Do we think they're really starting to purr? Or is this another false dawn, which we've seen a few of this season for Bournemouth? I think it's the former. And I don't just say that flippantly because I haven't always enjoyed watching Bournemouth this season and they haven't nearly lived up to our pretty lofty expectations. But in their last three wins, they've been excellent. Obviously, going forward in the final third with everyone fit, with two of Dan Juma, Stanislas or Brooks, either side of Dominic Solanke, they just have such firepower. And we're seeing over the last few weeks that in addition to those three, with Philip, Bill- with Philip Billing playing in an advanced midfield role, moving into goal-scoring positions, galloping late into the box to finish cutbacks and crosses, teams can't handle them. Not for 90 minutes anyway. I, I think it'd be wrong to say that Bournemouth are as good as a Norwich there's no chance in my eyes that they have anything near the attacking patterns of play that Norwich have, but they do have the individual players and the confidence over the last few weeks is building and teams are finding it hard to keep them at bay, but also they've put in some really good defensive performances and it's not the sexy side of the game and the and the names in their back four and in goal maybe aren't as sexy as the likes of Dan Juma and David Brooks, etc. But they've improved so much on that front their last three games they've barely given up a chance until Blackburn's missed penalty in injury time of that game on Bank Holiday Monday so you know I I think it's all positive at the moment I think a lot of people 
now see Bournemouth as likely playoff contestants and probably likely winners of the playoffs based on their last few performances because at their best, they're so good. Uh, George, I, I don't see really how Coventry can stay with them for a full 90 minutes, but then again, we've been let down by Bournemouth in the past this season. What sort of shape do you think Coventry are in heading into this game? Well, you spoke about the, the sexiness of the Bournemouth squad and Coventry, I think, kind of reflect your sexiness, Ali, where they're very, Thank very you. sexy when they're at home, but <laughs> it kind of all falls apart when they when they hit the, when they hit the open road because <laughs> their their away form is is incredibly poor. You know, they've won just one of their last ten away from home. They've lost seven of those games, which is totally at odds with their performances at home. But of course, the at home comes with a little asterisk next to it because they're not at home. They are playing at St Andrews. And you know, I think uh, commentary fans are very excited about their return to the Rico next season. But certainly on the playing side of things, their home away from home has been a pretty profitable place for them. And without their home form, they would be in the relegation zone. But of course, without their away form, they would be far, far clear of their position at the moment. And you know, taking a little snapshot of their season over Easter weekend. On Good Friday, they lost 3-0 away to QPR and they were abysmal. They rarely threatened QPR at all. QPR are a team in form, it should be said. And then they go and play an out-of-form team in Bristol City, but completely dominate the game and run out very, very comfortable 3-1 winners. So what was the difference? What changed? And in truth... Everything changed. The shape changed. The formation changed. Uh, if you're looking at the game against QPR, Tyler Walker came off the bench. Matt Godden played as a lone striker with basically a midfield five behind them. It, it was the kind of the system that we got used to seeing Coventry play last season. Then you go ahead to, to Monday against Bristol City. And of course, Mark Robbins has to shuffle his pack and maybe you know play the strongest team against the out-of-form side at home where you know you're going to pick up the points. But suddenly you're playing with Walker and Godden as a front two and O'Hare in behind, and they are unsurprisingly a totally different prospect. I wonder if the away poor away form from Coventry is triggering a, a, a style and a mentality from Mark Robbins where he's just trying to arrest the slide, and in doing so is taking away some of the fundamental reasons why they're so good at home. You know, I would like to see here... You mentioned that you can't really see Bournemouth, commentary living with Bournemouth. I would like to see Mark Robbins just take the game to them and just approach this game as if it's a home game. Play the attacking side. Play O'Hare. You know, if you're Jonathan He's Woodgate, a little star, isn't he, O'Hare? He is a little star. If you're, if you're Jonathan Woodgate and you are looking ahead to this game and you're wondering, you're thinking who could hurt you both in and out of possession, O'Hare is exactly that. He's somebody who out of possession will hassle his uh, technically gifted players. He's somebody who will not allow... Um, Bournemouth to settle in possession, and then when they do win the ball back and they break and they can break through into the into the opposition final third, he has the quality to make use of it and also to provide chances for that front too. So, I'm hoping here we're going to see Coventry stick to the side and the tactics and the mentality that we saw them uh, deploy in that win against Bristol City. But history might suggest that they may try and shut up shop. In which case, I agree with you. I, I think Bournemouth are the are the likely winners. Well, unsurprisingly, Paddy Power agree with that. Bournemouth strong favourites here. Six to ten they are, uh, as we record. Coventry four to one to win the game in the draw. Fourteen to ten, but that is certainly one of many interesting fixtures in the Championship this weekend. In League One, George Suffolk, Suffolk is where we're going. Ipswich Town, more specifically. Um, I went on holiday to Suffolk last summer. Absolutely beautiful. I'm going. I'm going this summer. 
Aldborough, Thorpness, Famously not South a staycation, though, is Ali. No, no, certainly not. People, who, people who say that are silly, aren't they? Because a staycation means... Taking time off but staying at home. Exactly. Look, there are new owners all over the gaff in the EFL, aren't there? Uh, Bahrainis in Wigan, Spaniards in Derby, uh, and now Americans in Suffolk. Uh, the, the takeover confirmed on Wednesday. I almost feel bad talking about this, George, because frankly, it's Matt Slater's story. He's been all over this. He was the one that wrote the exclusive about the proposed takeover a few weeks ago on The Athletic. And then everything went very quiet for a few weeks. Matt wasn't concerned, though. He's got his ear to the ground. And again, he's followed it up with the primer on what these new owners are, what they will be like, and how that transaction has worked with Marcus Evans, the previous owner, um, leaving a little bit of himself behind, 5% more specifically. For all the information, head to The Athletic. Please do go and read that piece. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, do go to theathletic.com forward slash league show. You'll get an annual subscription where you'll pay just £3.99 for the first six months. That offer code, by the way, league show, George, always makes me think of 90s wrestler Big Show. The Big Show. What an iconic figure he was. Anyway, Ipswich fans won't be sad to see the back of Marcus Evans. At 13 years, he owned the club. He came in as a exceptionally rich local man, a fan of the club. And I think it's fair to say he leaves a very unpopular owner and a, a pr bit of a dark spell in Ipswich's history. Certainly in footballing terms, things had got very, very stale indeed. But now with fresh new owners and a new manager, Ipswich fans have got their taste back and, and a whole lot of excitement as well. And so I'm not going to sit here and let the air out of the balloon by mentioning just how poor Ipswich Town have been on the pitch recently about the fact that Paul Cook seemingly hasn't been able to have as immediate an impact as Danny Cowley, for example, at Portsmouth. He's won two, drawn three, lost three of his first eight games, partly because we love Paul Cook and partly because we think in the long term he will absolutely be the right man for Ipswich Town. We won't go into depth there. But it's just a bit of an odd situation, George, where they've been really poor. Last weekend, not a single shot on target against lowly Rochdale. It's hard to be too excited about this team. But if Paul Cook can find any sort of spark, if he can use this added energy around the place, the improved atmosphere to translate into an improved performance on the pitch, well, they're still in a good position to make the playoffs. Somehow, this team that have disappointed us and their fans all season could easily make the League One playoffs with a half-decent run between now and the end of the season. He just needs to find a combination of attacking players that can gel and thrive in the final third. That's where they've been sorely lacking any kind of imagination in the last few weeks. But if you've watched them play recently, it just feels like a big if, I have to say. I must say. And I, and I, and I don't enjoy saying it. I just think it's unlikely. But we'll see. What sort of shape are MK Dons in ahead of their fixture this weekend? Yeah, OK shape. You know, they won four out of four before losing 2-0 at home to, to Crewe uh, on Easter Monday. They missed their Good Friday game because they're due to be playing Lincoln. Uh, and Lincoln had their COVID outbreak. I, I think... Before I go on and kind of go on to MK Dons specifically, I think MK Dons are kind of the perfect opposition for Ipswich in their current guise because MK Dons games are fun, full stop. It doesn't matter who they're playing because of the way that they play their football. You know, any any regular listener to this podcast doesn't need me to tell them that Russell Martin plays an expansive brand of football who, you know, a lot of um, trust placed in young 
players who are given the freedom to express themselves. They make the pitch in, as, as big as possible. They look to play out from the back. They give a lot of onus on, on their goalkeeper and their centre-backs to, to, to keep the football and to control the game. Um, but it's, this isn't possession for possession's state. For possession's sake, they concede a lot of chances and they create a lot of chances. And so for Ipswich... I just struggle to see how this develops into a stale nil-nil, which is what we're used to seeing under Paul Cook. And I, and I think Cook will be excited to come up against an opposition who, whilst they are very, very good and will not be an easy game, who will enable them, hopefully, to try and have a bit more attacking freedom because they themselves will be looking to play. The 2-0 defeat against Crew, on the face of it, was a bit of a shock. As I say, they they won four in a row um, and they... And crew hadn't come into it in, in the best form, but again they dominated possession. They had more chances. It was just one of those games where the ball didn't go in, in when they had their opportunities, and, and crew scored with two of their six shots, and that was enough. Cameron Jerome had a a very disappointing day in front of goal. I think he is, um, you know, we can forgive him for that. He's been brilliant this season for MK Dons. Uh, Ethan Laird so nearly with another brilliant assist did everything he could do to put the ball on a plate for Jerome who who hit the woodwork uh, again showing why that pesky assist stat is a bit of a um, yeah you don't want to place too much faith in that one interestingly Scott Fraser who has probably been MK Dons' player of the season this season um, what a per- what a pickup he was from from Burton he was dropped to the bench to accommodate Matt O'Reilly playing in his position O'Reilly we've generally seen playing as an eight uh, but he was put in as 10 in behind um, Jerome and he had six shots in the game he loves to shoot but he's a player who you know experiencing his first minutes of first team football it wouldn't surprise me if this time next year we're talking about O'Reilly as a player who's going to be on the li- on the shortlist of a lot of clubs in the championship and maybe higher he looks very very good indeed and just a shout out to Harry Darling and Zach Jules you know it's not often that clubs bring in two new centre-backs uh, in January uh, especially after having a fairly decent start to the season but they are you know from Cambridge and from Walsall Darling from Cambridge Jules from Walsall they are both so good on the ball so comfortable with a really high ceiling uh, I know MK, MK Dons fans especially smitten with Darling but I think both of them have been such shrewd pickups and a testament to the good work that MK Dons are putting uh, putting in behind the scenes to build for what I think will be a period of long-term sustainable success. So yeah, they're in great shape. Um, I think next season is a season for MK Dons, but I can pretty much guarantee that for any neutral watching this game, it should be much more interesting than Ipswich's in recent times. And Ipswich are the favourites for it. 7-5 they are with Paddy Power. The draw 21-10. to MK Dons 2-1 to to bounce back from that Easter Monday defeat with another win, which would make it 5-6. and six. And to finish off, we're in League Two. More specifically, George, West Yorkshire. Bradford City hosting Grimsby Town. And I'm going to take on Bradford here, the home side, because we haven't heard too much from them in the last month, comparatively to the two months prior to that. Because Truman and Sellers mania, it's fair to say, subsided slightly, as it was always going to do about a month ago. They'd had that run of 10 wins in 13 games, a truly insane run for the former youth coaches with a combined age of just 62. So where are we now? Well, they went winless in five uh, and then since then they've had a good week. They've won two and drawn one of their last three games. If you look at Bradford's record since Stuart McCall was sacked, they have the second best record in the league in that time, only beneath Cambridge and level on points with Bolton, who of course have flown up the table. And 
when I started this, I was thinking to myself, maybe the next few games for Bradford are about planning for next season, or about maybe seeing a few young players move into the team, see if they could become part of a, a, a first-team squad next season, and just start basically planning ahead of time for a big summer. And then I looked at the league table, realised they're only five points off the playoffs. So, you know, you've got to be careful at this stage of the season to write anyone off. You've also got to be careful not just to say everyone still has a chance. I think Bradford are in that sweet spot where if they can put together another run, they could absolutely make the playoffs, but it needs to start this weekend at home to Grimsby Town, I think. Uh, they've had some players thriving, it's fair to say, under Truman and Sellers. Elliot Watt at the base of midfield looks like a really interesting prospect who I think we'll see play higher up the leagues over the next few years. Uh, I would say Ben Whiteman is a half-decent player comparison for Watt because his strengths are, uh, well, really accurate, long passing, progressing the ball forward from in front of the back four. But, you know, decent defensive nous as well and positioning. He's been thriving recently, as has Andy Cook on loan from Mansfield, the perfect striker for this team. Uh, he's been banging in the goals. He's already their top scorer, despite only joining at the very end of January. But really excitingly for me, and I think for Bradford City fans as well, is, and this is the great benefit of having coaches from the youth setup given more power in the first team is that there's now there appears to be anyway a genuine pathway from academy to first team and we think that ultimately all EFL clubs that have academies should have clear and obvious pathways to the first team because otherwise what's the point of having an academy so to see Finn Cousin Dawson and Kean Scales both 18 years old both of them starting the last three games down Bradford's right-hand side is really, really exciting. And I'm looking forward to watching this game closely and seeing if I can learn a little more about these two young players. I could go on here and talk about Clayton Donaldson's unlikely transformation uh, into a creative number 10, which has had me and Bradford fans scratching our heads. But really, the longer I speak, the more I'm wasting my words here, George, because Grimsby are, are kind of like League Two's Venus flytrap at the moment. They look like a nice fixture. You think you can beat them. You get a bit too close and then bam, it's, it's just going to be a draw, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, for Grimsby at the moment, that they're unbeaten in their last eight uh, and they've drawn seven of them, winning one. And I just feel so sorry for Paul Hurst because I I feel like he's done an incredible job in order to turn a Grimsby side who were just so desperately poor, who had such a, a myriad of on and off field issues. Um, the takeover still hasn't gone through. I mean, I, I've, I've looked for kind of recent news on it, but it feels like the club is just kind of geared towards trying to stay up and then work out what the hell is happening in the summer after that. They've squandered leads in their last three as well. They've drawn all three games, one all. Uh, the Walsall draw, I think, was, um, was frustrating because, again, it was against the side who they're trying to chase down. But the Salford game where they went one, they went one up very, very early, and managed to kind of keep a Salford side who, you know, who don't score many goals, but have a, a pretty impressive array of, of attacking players, really quiet for pretty much the whole game until Ibu Torre scored in the 88th minute to make it one all. Again, they went one all up against Cheltenham through captain, uh, his name is a shop, Lanel John Lewis. And he, um, and then Bento, Bento's a long throw undid them and they drew that game one all. They are taking points and going ahead against teams who I would say are better than Bradford's, but end up with very little to show for it. And with teams above them winning games, even though they're also losing, averaging a point a game isn't going to get you out of this mess. 
I still definitely think they have enough about them and the way they're playing could easily put together a run of two or three wins. Um, their front three of Hansen with Linnell John Lewis and uh, and Stefan Payne either side are causing teams problem problems. The, the, the general theme seems to be get the ball into Hansen, either to his head or his feet, and then work around him there. Defensively, they've been impressive recently. That they're not conceding many chances, they're not conceding many goals either, either, and against decent opposition too. So it's really difficult this because I feel like they are two goals, three goals over the course of seven or eight games away from being out of this. But they've conceded those goals, they've have squandered those leads. But if they carry on playing the way they are, I still really think that they could give the teams sitting above them a little bit of a fright, even though they've got a bit of a, a way to catch up. But a win here and another, a, against the Bradford side, who who haven't maintained that that storming level we saw under the two the two managers initially, uh, could be the catalyst for a pretty special end to the season under a manager who, of course, took them out of non-league uh, a few years ago in the playoff final. 10 to 11, Bradford, the favourites with Paddy Power for this game. The draw 11 to 5 and Grimsby 14 to 5. And that ends our whiz around town, around the EFL, around the UK. Uh, we love these leagues and this really is the time to be following them. Crunch time. So do join the guys on Monday, Matt and the gang heading through all of the key results and exactly what they mean. We will be in tow on Thursday, of course, next week to preview the weekend and any other bits and bobs that tickle our fancy. Subscribe to this podcast feed, please. And we look forward to joining you again next week on the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Money Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.